This is Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. We are the best podcast about the Green Bay Packers. I am your host, Mike Fleischman. Hi there. That is Matt Mellemsetter. We are coming to you live from the beautiful Loop Studios in downtown Chicago, Radio DePaul Sports. It's the first day of a new quarter here at DePaul University. There's a certain energy in the air. Also, this podcast is not live. I just said it was live. That is false. No, it's not. This is pre-recorded, and if you think that this is live when you're listening to it, you're wrong because we're probably doing something mindless while you listen to yeah. it. Yeah. We are not together when you listen to this, and we are probably doing very separate things. Most likely. But I am Mike Fleischman. That is Matt Mellum. That part was not a lie. It is week 18. The regular season has concluded, so it was wild card week in the playoffs this week. We saw two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. On today's show, we are going to talk a bit about those four games, one in particular because it was a delicious, it was delicious a meal. It was a treat. And the other three, not so much because Who th- they are comprised of the I don't care teams yeah. in, in, my, in my repertoire. But there was some NFL action. We're going dis- to discuss that, and then we're going to move on to talk about the Green Bay Packers offseason 2019. Lots of stuff is happening, of course. Head coaching candidates are being interviewed. There's questions beyond head coach that I don't think are getting answered this week, so we'll probably stay away from them. But there's plenty of fun stuff to talk about here on Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Uh, start right away. Let's go right to right to Saturday. It's a few games. There's two games. Yep. Colts played the Texans. They did. In the morning game or the early game. Indianapolis Colts defeat the Houston Texans. By a score of 21-7, it was a 21-0 game through the third quarter. Houston just not able to get on the board in this thing. And for a large part, the the resurgence of the Indianapolis Colts, Mm -hmm. after everything that's happened to them, Andrew Luck had some sort of like mysterious Frankenstein illness where he just sort of looks like the Frankenstein monster and had like a bad... like. Two years. Neck. Like, just shoulder. Like, was gone. Mm-hmm. And he has sort of just like reemerged and and you know, has has this like it's not even a five o'clock shadow. You have a feeling luck is one of those guys who has like an eight AM shadow. Yeah. Where he shaves at seven in the morning and, and by the time he back. Yeah, by the time he makes it to work, he already <laughs> has like a full beard on. <laughs> so so luck has luck has emerged looking as groomed as he ever has and has behind a just incredible offensive line that has let him just stand around and, and whip balls at people. Yeah, it was revamped, like, mm-hmm. in a year, basically. I mean, this was a bad offensive line when Andrew Luck disappeared in 2017. Uh, and when he returned, that offensive line was pretty stacked. So he, he is back. Uh, they got 148 yards on the ground from Marion Mack, who is a person who plays in the NFL. They got they had, had multiple 50-plus yard receptions reception guys Hilton and Inman are are a real impressive duo we kind of forgot about the Indianapolis Colts because Andrew Luck disappeared and it became the Jacoby Brissett show and they had a quarterback before that who was like blonde and had a mullet and he was painter yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Charlie painter Charlie football Jesus yeah football Jesus uh so some underwhelming things happened there yeah. for a minute in in uh Indianapolis and then they get Andrew Luck back and, and then the, and they also sign a Detroit legend everyone's favorite lion Eric Ebron who goes on to have yeah. a good year and does not completely disappear uh 
Eric Ebron this season at 66 receptions for 750 yards and 13 touchdowns. He wasn't a total mess. Uh, Caught a touchdown pass in this game, actually. Yeah, he did. He had three receptions for 26 yards with one touchdown. (laughs) Yeah, and I got to see a bunch of Detroit Lions fans on message boards second-guessing themselves as to whether or not they shouldn't have paid for Eric Ebron. And like, okay, you don't really have any other tight ends in Detroit, but he was bad for y'all. For a long time. For like four years. Yeah, hindsight doesn't... We don't get to have hindsight all the time in that because he was a bad Detroit Lion. So for him to get picked off the scrap heap and do really well for the Colts, like, yeah, that's... Maybe the Colts are a better organization than the Um, Detroit Lions. uh, Yeah, probably. Meanwhile, the Houston Texans, this is a tough end to an 11-5 season where they looked really well for a lot of it. Deshaun Watson coming back after such a promising start last year and then Mm -hmm. that injury. Yeah. And then coming into this year looking extremely rusty. And then you got to watch him in real time throughout the course of this season shake that rust off. And sort of pick up where the Houston Texans were beforehand in that they put a lot of pressure on the quarterback and then Deshaun Watson slings it around. They've got some some great some great boundary receivers and uh, apparently you know some some good running backs, although Deshaun Watson was their leading rusher in in this game. But DeAndre Hopkins is uh is really good. Yeah DeAndre they've, they've got great talent and it was great watching them put it together, and it's just sad that they got themselves a home playoff game and couldn't hang on, but I don't root for either of these teams, and just just seems like right now the uh, the Colts are, have the beneficiary of veterans in places where the Houston Texans have young guys. Yeah. Guys who have seen it before versus guys who haven't. That's going to be a theme that continues yes. on through, yes. uh, through these scores. That was game number one on Saturday. Game number two was a, a better game sure possibly <laughs> yeah no it was it was it was a it was a pretty good game yeah, the uh the Dallas Cowboys put up 14 in the fourth quarter to beat the Seattle Seahawks and become my favorite team of Saturday because any team that beats the Seahawks is it's a round uh, of yeah gets gets at least at least a golf clap mm-hmm. from from cheeseheads in Chicago land watching this game and paying attention to the Seahawks a little bit this season it's been astounding to watch Pete Carroll's usage of Russell Wilson this year. The Seahawks were had the least fast attempts in the NFL this season with Russell Wilson as their quarterback. With Chris Carson yep. or Rashad Penny as their best running back. Yep. Uh, I don't I don't follow that strategy, I suppose. They spun it into a 10 and 6 record. Yeah. And a playoff appearance that you know, ended ended of course in a loss to the Dallas Cowboys down down in Jerryland or Jerry World, but yeah, a, a weird a weird team. Uh, Russell Wilson is just I begrudgingly say this he's very good. He's a next level talent. Yeah, he's really really his good. ability to throw on the run and uh, it's mind bending. Yeah, it's transformative. Yep, how quick his release is, and I mean in wins. He had 241 attempts. In losses, he had 186. It, throw the ball more, maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe use Russell Wilson and, and I don't know, that guy Doug Baldwin. Yeah, no. That Tyler was, Lockett. These guys are uh, are pretty pretty serious I, I mean, Wilson, targets. Wilson and Lockett will set the standard for deep balls. Uh, Lockett has incredible speed on the boundary, and Russell Wilson can throw a beautiful 
deep ball. And yeah, Pico is kinda 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 just avoids it sometimes. What are you gonna do? You lose. I mean they sort of have an offensive line these days. Yeah, so. no, it's 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 not just defensive linemen anymore playing on the offense. It's it's real yeah, actual may, people like maybe maybe next year they'll be they'll be another another step in the right direction. Impressed by what Seattle was able to do. We really thought coming into preseason, beginning of the regular season, they were trending away from relevance because of the the Pete Carroll experience being that like, oh, we don't need any of those defensive players that were good. Oh, we don't need offensive linemen. Turns out maybe they didn't. I I don't know. Who knows, <laughs> who, who knows what they're what they're doing in Seattle. Meanwhile, uh Prescott throws for a touchdown on in 226 yards. Ezekiel Elliott runs for 137 yards on 26 carries. That's how you use Ezekiel Elliott yep. and Dak Prescott right there. Uh, Prescott also gets a, a touchdown on the ground. Amari Cooper, who just continues the the tradition of having been a Raider and now is somewhere else being better. Very good. Yeah, yeah no, being very good at seven receptions, 106 yards. He's I like Amari Cooper a lot. He's got no problem with him at all. Got no problem with Amari Cooper at all. He's... Quick, he runs nice routes. He's got good hands. He struggled with some drops, uh, kind of in the beginning of his year of his career and in Oakland, but it's kind of picked it up and discovered it here in uh, Dallas after that trade. And that was a trade that a lot of people really didn't like. It was uh, Jerry Jones sent over a first rounder for Amari Cooper in Oakland, um, and kind of people were like, "Dallas got clowned for this." Sure, but led to a playoff victory that the boys have not had in a few years. Yeah, win a home playoff game. Win a Why home not? playoff game. Seems seems like a good way to and they'll have, maintain relevance and also make money. Yeah, and they'll have a first. They'll have a, the first chance to sign him in this offseason. I expect them to uh, sign him for a lot of money. And I also got to uh, got to discover that there is a Cowboys linebacker named Leighton Vander Esch. Yeah, he was the first round draft pick this year. He's really, really, really good. Yes, he's he's he really, 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 really good. He's incredible. Another another season changing guy, but also like this guy should be like, I don't know, the president of the debate society at at like yeah. Yale or, yeah. or Princeton or Brown or something, or like Oxford. He's got such a thick neck. Hello, I'm Leighton Vander Esch. We're looking at this picture of him. He's from Boise State. Yeah. He's got a he's got a a big thick muscular neck. He works out his neck muscles a ton. How does one work out their neck muscles? Uh, I wonder. I remember watching an infomercial once for like a thing that you would like put underneath your chin and you like mm. shove your chin down and it would uh, build up kind of these muscles like around your jaw. Like so, it would clamp into like right here that will dip in your <laughs> sternum just, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and push your Want to chew down. your hand better? Yeah. You want to get some stronger chewing muscles? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sandwiches not going down fast enough. Let me, <laughs> let me take care of that for you. You can be real strong. Work out your neck. Get the weight room. <laughs> yeah, Leighton Vander Esch has a huge neck. He's he's very good. Led them led them in tackles, but really a, a good for fourth quarter by the Dallas Cowboys. Another team very much like Seattle that has themselves a a core that. I think I think we were a bit premature in and we looked at Prescott and Elliott's first year and we were yeah. like they're amazing and then their second year where Elliott had to be suspended for six games and Prescott 
couldn't do it all by himself and their their receiving core was nobody yeah. with a side of mashed potatoes and and the mashed potatoes yeah. is Cole Beasley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we judged too prematurely like no that's a, a real legit one two combination when when you add I don't know a good wide receiver or two. Yeah. into and, the situation and, and you don't ask Dak Prescott to do too much. Yeah, and you don't you don't count on Sean Lee to lead your defense because yeah. he's not able to because he's old. Yeah, uh, yeah. As long as Dak Prescott's not trying to do too much, he's pretty good. I mean, he's got he's got good mobility. I think he succeeds the most when he's in kind of a subservient role to Ezekiel Elliott, where Ezekiel Elliott is like really running the offense, and the offense goes through Zeke, and Dak Prescott's looked at as more of a short passing game manager. I think when, like last year, when Dak Prescott was asked to score all of this team's points and do everything for them, is when he started to falter is, is he doesn't make the best reads. He's not the most accurate, uh, especially kind of as he transitions away from his first to his second read, he kind of gets a little bit of happy feet. He rushes his mechanics a little bit. Um, but when he's able to just kind of relax and know that he's got a safety blanket, it was a sophomore slump year as well. Yeah. In that you get some film on the guy, you know, exactly. You tend to learn where his first reads are going to be. Yep. You take them away, you key on them. Yeah. And then he doesn't have his safety valve on top of that. Um, Prescott putting together a 10 and six record on a Cowboys team that isn't stacked. No, was uh, was real impressive. That's a great sort of third year yeah. as a starter campaign for Dak Prescott. Those those are the Saturday games. Now we get to the Sunday games. We get through the appetizers. Ooh. We get more to the main course. The yeah. um, <clears throat> the Los Angeles Chargers. I had fun watching this game because it was a Romo game and. Because I don't really care about the AFC. I love Romo. I don't I love listen to Romo, Romo very much. Um, yeah, Romo was was driving home the idea that the way Los Angeles changed what they did from their earlier loss, like two weeks ago, yeah. to the to the Ravens, the changes between then and now were pretty pretty significant. And you now he was mostly right in that what Los Angeles did to shut down Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens was ridiculous and and a great idea. Yeah, in that they put all of their defensive backs out on the field. They ran the nickel the whole time. Play side, played sideline to sideline. Yeah, and prevented prevented the lateral the lateral runs and the lateral moves. Mm-hmm. And forced Jackson to see if he could throw it downfield, which playoff game number one for a a project quarterback didn't turn out. Yeah, very it well. Turned out all. how you'd expect it. Yeah, for, when, the char- for the Chargers. I mean, Lamar Jackson. Uh, has been exceptional in the offense that John Harbaugh has developed for him, but is not quite ready to be a full-time pocket-passing quarterback yet. I mean, his his strength right now is his mobility and his speed. And in fourth quarter, he was really good. Oh, yeah. Fourth quarter, he turned it on, and he worked for the, through the rust, and John Harbaugh let him kind of work through the cold spots and find the hot spots. And I think that fourth quarter, especially for Lamar Jackson, is like what we're going to expect out of him going forward now is I think he can be a really, really talented quarterback in the NFL and be a position changer. But he, it's going to take a lot of work for him. Yeah, I would I would hate to see him try to be developed as, like, let's turn this guy into a pocket passer. But no, he can't. Like, no, that would, that would, that be, would take away that would be a misuse of, of some of the stuff that makes him so darn good and exciting. Um, outside of Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens had um, uh, 36 rushing yards. Mm-hmm. So like maybe 
maybe uh, if you want Lamar Jackson to be effective, make it so that defenses are at all scared at just a tiny bit by anyone of else. your other running backs. Um, this is also a team that has Ty Montgomery yeah. on it that they traded for, and they didn't give him a carry. Yeah, he was inactive in this game for a few weeks. He had. 106 yards on the return. He was averaging about 17 yep. yards on the returns. But, uh, yeah, he was inactive for a few weeks. He doesn't really get worked into the rushing offense very often for them. They they leaned pretty heavy on Gus Edwards, and Kenneth Dixon came back, and he's been taking up a share of those carries as well. So Jackson goes 14 of 29 for 194 yards. Uh, without the fourth quarter, that those that line was, yeah. was far worse. A uh, QBR of 9.5. Yeesh. That's a little low. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Phillip Rivers... Uh, how about 22 of 32 for 160 yards? That's not very good. But that sounds no interception. Yeah, but good enough. But that got... was good enough. He just if you're trying to uh, trying to beat the the Ravens, who are are still a good good defensive team. Yeah. I mean, one of the best in the NFL. One or two. Yep, they kicked uh, kicked four field goals in the first uh, first half. We're leading 12 nothing at halftime. Uh, as close as it got was 12, 12 to three before uh, before a late push by by the Ravens, but a little bit too little, too late. I just love how Rivers spreads the ball around. Yeah, he's he's just been exceptional this year. Nine different receivers in he, in the game. He just he looks everywhere. Yeah, he doesn't really have a first, second, or third read yeah, anymore. No, he, just, he just he just knows sees his guys. Yep. Um, speaking of which, knowing where everyone is. I was watching a little bit. This is Packers related, um, but I was watching a, 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 a. It was like an internet show. It was just a clip of an internet show, and it was Mercedes Lewis and Martellus Bennett, and they were talking about their experiences with the Packers. And this is this is where the quote about Aaron Rodgers changing the play in the huddle came up. Have you have you seen this from Mercedes Lewis? I have. Yeah, Mercedes Lewis not coming back now. No. Now that he said anything about the Packers, he's not coming back. Um, he says a great story about uh, Aaron Rodgers getting a play in the huddle changing the play call, um, and throwing a 40-yard bomb. And uh, I forgot where I was originally taking this story because I got wrapped up in. Something about Philip Rivers and just knowing where the guys are? Mm, here we go. Back on it. Uh, <laughs> Martellus Bennett asked Mercedes Lewis after he's describing the situation. He goes, have you ever been hit with a no-look pass? Aaron ever throw you a no-look pass? And Mercedes Lewis was like, yeah, all the time. Every time we'd run a slant flat. So guy in the... Whatever, going into the flat guy, going into the slant. So twice? So twice, two times. Uh, but Mercedes Lewis was like, yeah, uh, he'll just, even in practice, he just looks at the flat and throws it to the slant. He, or he'll look at the slant and throw it to the flat and just knows exactly where they're going to be and exactly when he needs to throw it. And he was like, it's just money every time. So that's, about, that's a fact, a Packers fact about knowing where everyone is all the time. Bring it back around, baby. This is a Packers podcast. Yeah. Mel upset are coming through. Mm. <laughs> No, Philip Rivers is really good. Uh, I've always always liked Rivers. There's some great quarterbacks left in left in these playoffs. Yeah, a lot of the bad quarterbacks or uh, young and developing quarterbacks in Lamar Jackson's case uh, got eliminated this weekend. Yeah, uh, Russell Wilson gone. Deshaun Watson. We'll see him again. Yeah, no, he's we'll gonna see, we'll see him. A we're lot. gonna see him in a Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, Bill O'Brien is gonna do some magic with Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson. Bill O'Brien's a, a quarterback whisperer. But most importantly, yeah, the no. best quarterback still alive in the playoffs is Nick Foles. <laughs> Big Dick Nick. <laughs> Love Nick Foles. <laughs> now I have to have a debate with myself as to whether or not I have to be bleep out, bleep out Big Dick Nick. I don't think I do. No, leave it in, baby. I think I have to that's, leave it in. That's the nickname. Put that in quotes. Yeah. 
love love Nick. Lar- Nick large Foles. Richard Foles. <laughs> large Richard. <laughs> uh, Nick Foles, my my hero, and the greatest American ever to live. God, <laughs> he's gonna do it again. <laughs> he's gonna take the Eagles to another Super Bowl. So here's the big thing about the Eagles recently is that they draft Carson Wentz. Yeah. Everyone is always saying Carson Wentz is the guy of the future and he <laughs> plays for the Eagles and the Eagles do. Yeah. Then he gets injured and <laughs> Nick Foles comes in and leads them to unparalleled heights of success yeah. for the Eagles in this century. <laughs> and they're still just like, well, when Carson Wentz gets back, everyone agrees that it's his team. I do not agree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Carson Wentz is a generational talent, and yeah. Nick Foles is a guy who's been a starter kind of around the place. He's been all over the joint. He's lost his jobs. He's been out of the league. He's been back in the league. But something about Nick Foles and Doug Peterson, they both are just the biggest risk takers. They are both so bold, and it is going to either play out in catastrophic fashion or only Super Bowl wins for the rest of time. Well, the thing is, like, what's the catastrophe? Nick Foles gets eliminated from the playoffs? No, I just mean, like, they get beat by, like, sure. 75. Yeah, okay. Because Peterson's like, uh, run the craziest quadruple trip trick pass craziness, and Nick Foles just throws it. Except it works. Triple coverage every time, and somehow it My works. My man caught a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl last year. No, I'm, I am, I'm a huge Nick Foles fan because here's a guy who's 29 years old. He is playing he has played now for two seasons and when he's played for the eagles they are they are super bowl contenders yeah and when he doesn't play for the eagles they're not yeah like that's that to me is like the it's the simplest calculus you need to do well i mean i mean i i'm sure carson wentz is very good but my gosh at some point you have to like kind of take a look at what's happening yeah. i i love this idea of like we're just all waiting for carson wentz to get back you know winning a few super bowls in the meantime they're just chilling hanging just waiting i i i think carson wentz is uh as good as andrew luck or has the ability to be as good as andrew luck and as good as aaron Rodgers and be in that hall of fame conversation <sighs> nick Foles is just crazy absurd i don't know how he does it doesn't make any sense nope I don't get it ever. It uh, Looking at his career makes no sense. In 2013, when he took over the job for Philadelphia, uh, he played 13 games. He had 27 touchdowns and two interceptions. And then the next year, he was terrible. He was not good. Went to St. Louis, was not good. Went to Kansas City, didn't play, was a backup. Has been a backup ever since. He had one good year and has basically just been backup quality, except for two, you know, a Super Bowl and then a, a nice wild card win. I don't get him at all. Yeah, I don't. He's... I don't want to advance the argument that like he's better than Carson Wentz. It's just a matter of like at the current situation. in the current situation. Yeah. When you put him on the Eagles, the Eagles are contenders. <laughs> I don't know how that is happening. I don't really know why that's happening. Other than, yeah, he's a confident thrower. He makes decisions very quickly and. Uh, his guys play for him. Yeah, he never hesitates. Nope. That's my thing with Nick Foles is he never thinks twice. Nick Foles is just going to throw that ball. And, he's, and wherever it comes down, it comes down. Because sometimes that he throws up some wobblers. and some, Yeah, he throws up some mess. <laughs> and sometimes and somehow they just fall down into the most perfect place 
hands. <laughs> it's yeah. absurd. He's out. He's, he was picked off twice in the game. Um, in, interception number one was just just one of those throws that he should never have made. Yeah, but he's going to make it. Yep. But it's going to happen. <laughs> he's just trying to find Smallwood on a check down a linebacker steps in front of it. Like, you're just half a second too late yeah. on those kind of things. But um, we should. I should go back to where I started with this, is that the Eagles beat the Chicago Bears. Yeah, no, sorry we got Chicago, carried away. 16 sorry we, to 15. Sorry we got carried away with Nick Foles' yeah. clock. The Bears lost. Yeah, more importantly. More importantly, the Bears the, uh, lost because they're the, not good. The seven consecutive Super Bowls being brought to you by uh by Mitchie Mitchie True and and uh and, True and the, and the, crew. the new the new monsters of the gridway or whatever <laughs> I'm in Chicago but yeah the the new the new era of Bears success was was derailed by by a by nine, large Richard Foles by large Richard Foles and a nine and seven Eagles team with one of the worst defenses yeah in man mm-hmm. um the Philadelphia Eagles were able to come in to Chicago's house and put up 16 points on him, including just enough to get the win. in in the uh, in the fourth quarter is Golden Tate caught I caught the last caught the final t- touchdown pass to put him up. Oh, I two love point Golden conversion Tate. was no good. Left left Mitch Trubisky one timeout, 56 seconds on the clock. Got him in range for a 43-yard field goal to win the game as time would expire. A a Philadelphia Eagle got a hand on it. It was wide left. Trayvon Hester. Trayvon Hester. Trevian Hester. I guess I don't know how to pronounce his first name. I, am, so I apologize. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not familiar with uh, with Hester's work in the NFL. Not this one, in fact. But hit the left upright. Bounced off the Mike left saw. upright. Was wobbling down towards the crossbar. <laughs> Could have hit the crossbar and gone back through it and been good, but hit the crossbar and spun forward to to be no good. Uh, so we'll take it. Yeah, Cody Parkey, who hits the crossbar with an alarming regularity. Well, have you seen how he practiced before the NFL? No, did he hit the crossbar a lot? Uh, he would practice by punting at poles in fields or in like Walgreens parking lots and stuff. Um, why? Uh, uh, he would caption it with hashtag aim small, miss small. Why? What's that mean? <laughs> trick. Those are words. Trick, trick kicks, trick kicks. If I can hit it, this little tiny pole. So a my dude's times been aiming row, at poles Been aiming at poles. Oh baby. no. You knew it was coming. No, no, they're supposed to go between them. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not in Cody Parkey's game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't deign to be like an, an NFL analyst or podcast host over here. That's exactly what I am. But um, you're supposed to hit them through those balls. No, 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 no. Oh, Cody Parkey. Um, it it kind of sucks because in my dude's field goal got, got tipped. And he is going to get run out of Chicago on a rail and most likely struggle to find find NFL work. Here's a video of Cody Parkey aiming at a pole. Oh no, is it not gonna play? Is it not gonna play? Is it gonna play? It's an audio only medium. I'll narrate Cody Parkey. He's got his field goal ball in one of those field goal ball holder upper things. There's a He's pole. aiming at a pole. <laughs> the caption for this is Sunday activities. He, he hit the pole. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, he hits the pole really good. <laughs> that one's on track. <laughs> Draggy did it. Hit the pole. Nice shot. There, I was. I was uh, golf. David Faraday. Yeah, it's golf. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So the Bears lost because Cody Parkey's good at hitting poles. Um. And I'm glad he's good at hitting poles. Cody Parkey. Uh. Before his stint with the Bears was uh, also with the Eagles, so he was perhaps a sleeper cell placed <laughs> there by <laughs> Nick Foles, and op- and turned on just in time. If you if you like comedy, which you know I'm I'm a fan of comedy. I like to laugh. You should watch more Bears games. You should watch the uh, the reaction of the uh, the mascot, the bear mascot, <laughs> just so in the funny. bottom of the frame <laughs> as as it hits both poles, <laughs> and the bear mascot falls over dead. <laughs> Which I I want to just shout out whoever. Whoever, whatever closely guarded secret is it, it is as to who is in that costume. What's but he, person? Know his feelings. Person in that costume, man. Thank you for that performance. That was amazing. A plus. That was really that was really a plus. He knows he's on television. He's a performer. And whatever they pay you, I hope you I hope you get a raise. Yeah, no. Because that was some really some really excellent acting. Um, for the Bears. I mean, a team comes into your house, puts a 16 on you, like you're supposed to do better than that. You're supposed to score more points than that at home. That's not like a great performance by the Eagles beating you. That's just enough Yeah, no. of a performance by the Eagles beating you. Uh, you got Trubisky goes 26 of 43. He could not hit the broadside of a barn until a couple of clutch throws in the fourth quarter. Jordan Howard, I've asked you before, man, what the heck is wrong with Jordan Howard? 10 carries, 35 yards. Um, Taylor Gabriel got more carries than Tariq Cohen. Benny Cunningham and and uh, Taquan Mazel. Am I saying that right? I'm, I've just become Pat McAfee. It's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm now an idiot. But um, Cunningham and Mazel got as many carries as Tariq Cohen. As Tariq Cohen. Tariq Cohen had one carry. Um. This, I have I have come after Matt Nagy. I came after him week one for uh, for playing to not lose. Yeah, against the Packers in in week one of the thing, and it seemed that after that Nagy went for it. He went for the jugular, and he didn't play. He didn't coach scared until wild card week one in front of a sellout crowd at home. This was a scared game that he called. This was. This was atrocious. This was like really, really bad. Uh, and also, and it's not even, we're not even discounting his timeout usage on that last drive by Philadelphia where they get down to the one yard line and he doesn't call any timeouts. I thought it was, I thought it was terrible. Yeah, I he, thought you need to be calling timeouts right away there. Because then if you stop him, you get the ball. Mm-hmm. If you don't stop him, you've got more time but less timeouts. Yeah. When you're on offense, there are more ways to stop the clock than when you're on defense. You can't. So yeah, now you you're left with 56 cannot. seconds with yep. Trubisky and a kicker that you can't trust. And so yep. Trubisky has the first good drive of the game, uh, puts together the first string of throws that make him look like he's a professional. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, for a big part of this game, just looked like he didn't deserve to be. Well, where NFL. was the boldness? Where was your, your triple reverse to you know Khalil Mack, who throws a touchdown to, you know, to like Steve Bartman? Yeah. You know, where where was where well, was all of the where's the wildcat? Where was all the all of the 
all of that great Matt Nagy stuff where he's like, he's revolutionizing offense <laughs> until he just runs Jordan Howard up the middle 10 times for 35 yards, doesn't let his gadget guy touch the ball, and sends Mitch Trubisky out there to miss five yards wide on checkdowns. On most throws. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, it's another one of those games where like you just scratch your head in that like, like this guy had a game plan to beat the entire league until it mattered. Yeah, and it's it it was a, it was a, a feeling that I had kind of at the beginning of this game is that if the Bears have to put the ball into Trubisky's hands to win the game and like put up points on the board, because he 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 put them in a position to win the game in the last drive. It, this game shouldn't have been close. Like this is a not a good Philadelphia team. This is not who they were a year ago. This is not. There were some matchups that really played to Philadelphia strength. Yeah. Philadelphia's tackles took Khalil Mack away. Yeah. From from pass protection. That's hugely on Peters, who mm-hmm. is the best in the business. Outstanding. Yeah. Um, Philadelphia wasn't really able to run the ball. It's not like Chicago's defense became bad. No. But, but there were some matchups that really played to Philadelphia's strengths in that They've got they've got the O line to to keep Bowles clean on a poor rush, even from that from those freaking monsters that Chicago yeah. has on that line. It yeah, just a in general, just a not good game for Chicago. It just boy, oh boy, yeah, real real rough. Um, a lot of hate going Cody Parkey's way, but. To me, I look at I look at how they played in this game, and it just it reminds me so much of of second half of Week One against Green Bay, and that yeah. they uh, they just could not they could not finish that game. No, and it and you have to score points in this league now. This is not a league where you can win with a great defense. No, nah, fifteen anymore. doesn't get you a victory, even when your defense is Chicago's. Even when your defense is Chicago's, fifteen is a loss. 15 would have lost every single one of the games this weekend. So, a question, there was a play call where a deep pass is caught for Chicago. Oh, yeah. The cornerback has his arm in the pass. The receiver takes three steps, and then it gets ripped out as everyone goes to the ground. Yeah. Immediately, the referee directly in front of it, confidently, Waves. incomplete. Incomplete, Play yeah. is over. Nobody touches the ball. You have the I you I, have the TV crew insisting that that's a completed catch possession Chicago. And what universe? Yeah, I was doing this. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, "What the hell are you guys talking about?" I was like, "In front of the defenders, they waved it incomplete. Of course, there's not going to be yeah. a clear recovery of the fumble. Like, the so whistle if is if blown. If that's not incomplete, it's a live ball. Someone go get it. Like, how do you overturn that? Yeah. No, I I thought and. I mean, I don't know anything. I'm not trained as a referee. Neither. Neither am I. Uh, I didn't think there was a way to make that call not be that. Because it's also a situation where the ball isn't fully in his control for those three steps. Like, it's being jostled with, and then it's out. There's some other guy's arm. Hooked around the ball. Yeah, hooked around the ball. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was like, was... I think that has to be the only call. I actually wanted to yeah tell the officials that they made the right call by not not doing what the tv crews seemed to want which was giving chicago the ball first and goal on an incomplete pass 
because someone took three steps while locked up with another guy, the ball and that guy's arm and have it eventually come out to play. Like that can't be anything except a real great play by that Eagles defensive back. Yeah. And it's the only thing it can be in it dude it, was one-on-one on an Island with a receiver and he got his arm in, made a play, didn't arrive early. Like that's, as good as you can do. That's how yeah. you're supposed to win. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> how you win the games. Um, they listed a stat last night on the broadcast, and I'm trying to find it. I can't. It was that the Bears over their, this season had the most first downs given to them by penalties. Huh. That's an interesting stat. Just an I interesting hear, stat. I hear that. Yeah. Just an interesting stat. Yeah, I heard stat. that during during the broadcast as well. That's that's an odd statistic, but uh, the Bears the Bears are out. That uh, That's a thing. Bears are out, and I just want to put something on record. Do it. Um, I was reading. I've, I've been reading a lot about the Tr- Ms. Mitchell Trubisky season. He's not very good, uh, and I've watched a lot of Mitchell Trubisky play this year. And I also agree that he's not very good. And so I started looking for like executive opinions on Mitchell Trubisky, and saw a lot of uh, not just NFL analysts, but like sources inside of NFL scouting departments. Being like Mitchell Trubisky's bottom tier, I think. I think. I think Chicago's off of Mitchell Trubisky at the end of his first contract. I think Trubisky's gone at the end of his first contract. It'll be really interesting because again. I there is such a there's such a hype around this guy, and you know we can we can look at a bunch of guys who do not become viable NFL quarterbacks until time. much later. Yeah, or also guys who just don't become viable NFL quarterbacks despite where they were drafted, but. Just from a from a pure accuracy standpoint, like the guy just can't can't hit his his receivers at the moment. Yeah, when when he went into the tent with the when he came up a little limp on mm-hmm. the, on the scramble and had to go into the tent, I thought it was game over. I was like, you can. I thought you could book this one away and just yeah. I thought it was it Chase down. Daniel time. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm I there's my one. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little Daniels. I'm a little bit baffled by by the love of of Trubisky but at the same time like this guy could come out and you know fix a little bit of his mechanics work on his accuracy and all of a sudden become good because um we saw it a couple of times like hey if you're looking for a bright spot Bears fans which don't because this is the wrong podcast for you and I don't want you you to find a bright spot Alan Robinson is fantastic Alan Robinson was a great signing yeah he's a great signing that was a great pickup he's very very good and Trubisky put a couple of balls on him. When Trubisky doesn't miss, he's fine. Yeah. But I've just described every bad quarterback in yeah, the no. world. When 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 they're not bad, they're good. When Ryan Leaf threw the ball, he was yeah. pretty good. When Johnny Manziel yeah. like completed passes, he was pretty good. Yeah. When Deshaun Kaiser completed passes his rookie season with the Browns, he was pretty good. But uh, look past look past all the misses. Yeah. Look past look when past he... the forty nine point five QBR. <laughs> like no no no. Look past all that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah hey, it's pretty good. Hey. I talk that way about Deshaun Kaiser, so it's fine, dude. Like you can feel that way about Mr. Trubisky, Chicago, but he's not because it's 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 beyond just like mechanics and footwork. Like it's beyond just like throwing mechanics and footwork. It's also like Trubisky can't progress to a second read, mm, which yeah. is which is really the biggest. I don't think I saw him progress to a second read. He in this does, he hasn't all year like that. It it. The reason why I, I think Chicago's going to take a real step back next year in Nagy's second season is that a year of tape is now out on Nagy as a head coach. So what does he do in the situations? A lot of that motion can get nullified by just running man coverage. 
And if he's not going to use Tariq Cohen, I mean, a zone works best against Tariq Cohen because there's guys waiting in the wings everywhere. If you're in man coverage, just stay on your guy. The motion doesn't matter. And in a year, Mitchell Trubisky didn't really make any progress as a guy reading a defense and stepping up to the line and knowing before the snap where is he going with it. A lot of it was like scripted reads by Nagy, where this is your only read, is throw here. And if that wasn't there, Trubisky would scramble around and run and try and make something happen. And he's not very good at throwing in the run. We saw him miss by loads and throw a couple interceptable balls, like balls into guys' hands when he goes on the run because he just kind of flicks it around. He's got good arm strength, but he needs to learn how to stay in the pocket, step up, move to that second read. Running has to be your last option if you're Mitchell Trubisky because he's not a Lamar Jackson-type athlete. Like He's no. pretty quick, but I think he ran like a 4.8. Lamar Jackson ran like a 4.445. Like, yeah. Mitchell Trubisky's not going to be a 1,000-yard rusher at the quarterback position. He's, I think he has the legs of a younger Andrew Luck, where, sure, he can move a little bit. He can scoot. But you don't want him to. You don't want him to. When you've got an arm <laughs> as strong as when you've got an arm as strong as Mitchell Trubisky, you want him to stay in the pocket and deliver. But he doesn't he can't. He doesn't stay in the pocket and deliver. He makes his first read, his first read's covered. Oh no. Run around, run around, run around. Yeah. I think I think if you're the Bears, you want to avoid doing anything really drastic right now because Bears fans, of course, got to week 10 of this season they were like 14 super bowls baby yeah i don't know i can't do my chicago accent today apparently no. but uh no i really after can't. the ten, after it's the tampa bay, after the tampa bay game i remember people being like chicago's winning the super bowl mitchell trubisky's number 2 in the nfl he's the best quarterback ever yeah uh, and i think i think this offseason there's going to be a little bit of a reckoning in chicago i think people are going to kind of start to come down to earth yeah you can you can calm down on a bit on that but like it's not as though you took the steps that you were supposed to you you signed a few guys who were pretty valuable. You gave up uh, you gave up a bunch of first rounders for Khalil Mack. Like you've got yourself in a position um, you can beat teams in the NFC North now. Yeah, you'll be vying for a playoff position now. Teams are a little bit scared of you. They got a game plan for you now. Like you got something working. So find yourself a kicker, and uh, yeah, and, and maybe think about I don't know. That, maybe think about. Uh, uh, Inviting Joe Flacco to yeah, camp? Yeah, give Joe Flacco a call. I, the way that kind of these windows with good defenses work is you have about three or four years. So a lot of the Chicago Bears defense is on, like, rookie contracts and lower-value contracts. Not Kyle Fuller. He signed to a big $50 million deal. And not Khalil Mack, who signed to a mega deal. A lot of their other guys are signed on pretty low-money contracts. And in about three to four years, all those rookie contracts are up. And now the defense's window is closed. So what you have to do is you have to develop your quarterback and your offense in time to catch up to that. And you need to uh, develop good depth around that. But now you don't have any money and you also don't have any first-round picks because you spent it all on Khalil Mack. That's a lot of money in Fuller and Mack. And Not that's that those guys aren't that's good. Two, it's like $200 million in Khalil Mack and Kyle Fuller like over the next four years. Those have to be, that has to be the baseline of your defense. And Khalil Mack can be that. Kyle Fuller had a great year. He might be all pro. He had a great year. He led the NFL interceptions. Uh, that's a great signing. Uh, Green Bay yeah. wanted him. Rose up, pulled up that offer sheet, forced the Bears to match it. He had a great year worth that money. That takes away a lot of roster spots for the rest of your team. 
and without uh, all those draft picks that were sent over to Oakland, that's a lot. It's gonna of, be a really hard. That's to, a lot of UDFA that's contributions. A lo- yeah, that's a lot, especially in year three of this projection. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and look at it this way. I mean, from the Packers' perspective, look at how the defense in Green Bay was built from 2013 to 2016. A lot of UDFA contributions. ton of them. Because a lot of that money was wrapped up into Nick Perry, Clay Matthews, uh, safety play, bad cornerbacks. Like, a lot of UDFAs. You're going to see a lot of undrafted free agents coming out of Missouri Valley State putting in some time in that secondary. And IUPUI. IUPUI. Division two basketball players. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, we are so, going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to laugh at the Bears all throughout that break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a bit about the, the Packers head coaching search and, and everything that's happened since we last talked at you, which ain't much. No. But it's still Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. We are still on Twitter at Cheesecagoland. I'm still Mike Fleischman on Twitter at MP Fleischman. He is still Matt Mellumsetter on Twitter at Mellumsetter. We have a Facebook group called Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Uh, you should like it or whatever it is you do to uh, just get updates as to when we post episodes because that's what we use that for. Um, thank you very much for listening to Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. I'm trying to put together a roundtable episode for Pro Bowl week. Uh, so the week between the divisional championship round and the Super Bowl round, um, if you are a person who wants to be on that round table and you listen to this podcast and you want to come down to Chicago or maybe call in and have me ask you questions about the Packers. Uh, that's what at MP Fleischman on Twitter is for. So message it. Yeah. Message it. Slide into my DMS. Do it. No one has ever done that mm. before in my life. It would be awesome. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This cheese heads in Chicagoland. These Packers season snap counts. I love Acme Packing Company for for putting these up. Those are fun. I I like the snap counts. I like the fact that I don't have to count them in order to have them at my disposal. That's why the internet is good. Corey Lindsley played every snap on offense. Yeah. He's an Iron Man. He's crazy. Just just random guy who, who is awesome. Really, really appreciate like the, the random appearance of Corey Lindsley. 27 years old. Where did you find the season? Uh, a little bit down the page on, on APC. Is it the by the numbers? Mm, uh, yeah, by the numbers. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's, it's really something. Lindsley is, Lindsley is fantastic. But these this offensive lineman... Uh, snap snap chart is is amazing. Lindsley ten seventy five, Bakhtiari ten thirty two, Lane Taylor eight eighty one, Brian Balaga seven eighty two. Okay, that's that's a good good starting five distribution right there. Byron Bell all of a sudden 
or that's a good four guys, but then it's like Byron Bell, 527, McCray, 481. Those two couldn't decide who was better nope. throughout the season. Neither of them were very good. I feel like we were so dead on, though, with like Justin McCray because we got a replacement level offensive tackle in Byron Bell. Yeah. And the two of them could not figure out which one was better. In yeah, that, like, same. Justin McCray has just become a younger Byron the, Bell. The average NFL tackle, the guy who's not good enough. Yeah. But is also not bad. Yeah, average interior lineman. Lucas Patrick played two seventy nine. Alex Light, <laughs> I I must have missed. I must have just like gone into a fugue state by the time they played Alex Light twenty six snaps last game of the year. Didn't they suspend him too for a? Or yeah, didn't he, he get fined for? He was uh, suspended for a couple games for uh, substance abuse. Substance abuse. Good. Good job, Alex Light. Good work. Um, Adam Panky played a snap. That's a thing. Single snap. Yeah. Snap. Yeah. Uh, Light got. Light appeared in the last game of the year when McRae and Bell both got hurt. Okay. Well, he was good in the preseason. Yeah, he was fine. Yeah. Don't don't violate the NFL substance abuse policy. Yeah, don't do steroids. Is that what it was? I think it, it, steroids? It, or? Yeah, I don't think it was. Wasn't weed a weed violation? Nope. I think it was a, a performance. Popping mollies and, and heading out to the, the <gasps> rave. <gasps> um, <gasps> I found out that they don't call them raves anymore. What? I thought they called them raves. Um, Shows you how little I know about the electric music scene. What is a rave even? I I don't know, but like, I I guess it's like, they're not really raves or like there's a new thing because, because EDM going mainstream now, it's not. Yeah. Because like raves were a thing back in the day where, let me just take you back into my dirtbag past a little bit. Let's walk into my dirtbag past. Um, So it's like 1999 or 2000 and you like see a flyer for a rave. And you send like a text to the number or you call a number yeah. and you like leave your pager number yeah. at that or like you and have someone vouch for, for you. Beep. Yeah. And then, then you get paged yeah. with the address or a phone number that like goes directly to an answering machine that reads out an address and that's where the rave is that night. And then you go to the rave. But uh, very recently, uh, a friend of mine was going to an EDM concert and they'd never been to an EDM concert before. And so I kept asking them like, Hey, how was that rave? And they keep on responding like, well, the EDM concert I attended. <laughs> They're like trying <laughs> no, to make a semantic a point that they did not go to a rave. I'm like, you went to a rave. Yeah, no. Sounds yeah. like a rave. It, it sounds to me like a rave, but they're EDM concerts now. <laughs> Just call it a rave. It's a cooler name and you can claim you're of a, a, a formerly uh, cool subculture. I I will never... I, I do not have anything really against EDM music. And I certainly don't subscribe to the idea that it's somehow less of an art form than other music. Sure. Because I'm like not, I'm not a 17 year old butthole anymore. Right. Uh, but that's, that being said, like the, the amount of artistry it takes to produce it and like the creativity behind it. Like I hold all that to be valid. But if you go to an EDM concert, yeah. there's just sort of a person standing up on the stage where a band would be and they're pushing the buttons and i think we need to like i know the prodigy back in in like the distant past tried to like like move away from that by like recruiting some guys with funny hair who jumped around yeah like that didn't exactly solve the guy pushing a button problem and like we're now 20 years past when the prodigy sucked and like 
I mean, can I tell you what like I think Like, we still of? have the button, the guy pushing a button problem. Whenever I see it on the television, I've seen it too many times, or, like, the YouTube or the 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 internet. Uh, I, I, I don't believe that they're actually pushing any of the buttons. I think they just pre-recorded a, it's just a an live MP3 file version that they press and then they act like they're hitting buttons up on I like the stage. that thing they do that follow through with their hands where they're like I spun the record yeah and it's like <laughs> it, it, it feels more like a, a, a performance of somebody acting like they're you don't buttons. have a record up there my my man no it's 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 fake it's all on the computer yeah um I I don't and like yeah I don't really I don't really care about EDM I haven't heard any of it that like makes me a particular fan of it but i'm so far past the part where I, part of my life where like i'll discount some form of music versus some other form of music because jesus we don't need to be doing that in in our lives i'm pushing 40 years old here yeah like, no, we can we can still be pretentious sometimes yeah i mean i can i can be like yeah i don't i don't exactly i don't listen to it but at the same time like like i'm, I'm not gonna knock it but like we have to we have to at least look into the guy standing up on stage yeah, surrounded we, by boxes and computers problem we got to have a conversation about that yeah the fcc or something yeah someone's got to step in and be that like if that's scamming people out of thinking that they're seeing a performance yeah or you're not it's just a man <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there's gotta we've, we've got to find a, another way and like i i want like when is the whole like like dance party thing gonna happen like we need you know more dancers or something yeah i I kind of just think of those the EDM concerts as like one big dance party. Like I, I just wish that I, I wish that they would just play the music and that there wouldn't be a man standing up to, up there. Yeah, you could you could just play play that stuff like play that thing. Like the whole the whole idea is that it's digital. <laughs> we don't need a human. We can have yeah. a robot. <laughs> Have Watson run it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I remember uh, like I remember seeing seeing performances of, of Ween in like the early nineties and like late eighties where they recorded their like drum and backing tracks on, on a cassette player and they'd push play on the cassette player and then like play guitar and sing over on top of it. I'm talking about Ween now in Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Um I'm Mike Fleischman. I'm the guy who talks about Ween on a podcast. Um, if if you haven't heard Ween out there, listening audience, look into Ween because they they're a nostalgia act now, and that they tour like stadiums and arenas, and and they play their greatest hits to like rooms full of hippies, and that's cool because they're getting paid and they're not dead. But at the same time, like they they used to be a pretty vital underground act, and uh, I guess the term problematic nowadays could apply to a lot of what a lot of some of the stuff around the periphery of ween but sure. all the same uh they were they're were a fantastic and really talented group that i'm i really liked through many decades um i'm mike fleischman i talk about ween that's matt mellum said or he listens to me talk about ween i don't talk about uh, <laughs> yeah uh the green bay packers are looking for a head coach that is um that's a search that's probably probably going to uh sort itself out Within the next month, they have interviewed so far Jim Caldwell, Chuck Pagano, Joe Philbin, Josh McDaniels, Brian Flores, Dan Campbell, Pete Carmichael, Todd Monken, Matt LaFleur, and Adam Gase. 
Um, they have also requested an interview from Pat, Pat Fitzgerald, who said, nah. Yeah. So that is that is who is going on right now, of course. The, uh, the names that you know about, of course, are Josh McDaniels, because reports are right now that it's his job if he wants it. Yep. Uh, reports from the other side being that McDaniels has turned down everyone else's interviews and was just looking for the Packers job. It seems on paper that you have a fit there. Yeah. I'm already on record with my objections to Josh McDaniels. So I'm kind of in a, a throw up the hands position where I'm like, <sighs> yeah. you know, like this, this team couldn't like scheme a wide receiver open this year. And I'm, I'm worried about like, what if he's rude? Yeah. <laughs> like, what if he backs out? Yeah. What if he's mean? Like, yeah. what? What if he can get a receiver open? I don't know. Yeah, I, my I, my my floor on this is really it's, low. It's low. <laughs> it's really low. Uh, yeah, I mean, he does kind of have a, a a reputation of being a little bit of a rude man, a little bit of a rude guy. Uh, when he was working with the Denver Broncos, it was very much. He was like thirty two when he was given full control of the Denver Broncos franchise, um, and drafted Tim Tebow. Um, <clears throat> Adam Gase was his offensive coordinator with the Broncos through Tim Tebow's year, uh, or quarterback's coach, I guess, when Tim Tebow was there. He became the offensive coordinator uh, when Peyton Manning got there after uh, McDaniels left Denver. Um, McDaniels kind of has a my way or the highway attitude to coaching. He, When he was with Denver, he was very much like he had his hands on everything. He didn't want to uh, spread things around he wanted to do it all himself and then distribute what he had done to people he didn't look to other coordinators and position coaches to help him like build the game plan it was very much like i will build the game plan you will execute it um which doesn't really exist in the nfl like it doesn't really uh, succeed very much in the nfl um and adam gase is kind of the complete opposite adam gase uh, is i think maybe my top option i would love adam gase uh he was kind of considered the sean McVay before sean McVay. The thing I really know about Adam Gase, in, other than the fact that he just got dismissed from the Dolphins, who are a garbage organization yeah. run by garbage people and who have had constant, Four. continual, ongoing problems just. with some of the more basic aspects of managing football. Yeah. Um, so the fact that he got fired there isn't, isn't a thing that I worry about. But the thing I really know about Adam Gase is that Troy Aikman loves him. Yeah, Troy Aikman loves him. I think he just likes to say Adam Gase. Yeah, he loves the name. Loves, loves, loves the name. Troy Aikman also looks at Adam Gase and goes, man, maybe I would have been a good quarterback if Adam well, Gase old Adam was my coach. Adam Gase. Um, Adam Gase made Jay Cutler look good for a season yeah. as the Bears offensive coordinator before getting hired into uh, the Dolphins system where he made Ryan Tannehill look good for about 18 games that Ryan Tannehill was available. Sure. Other, other than that, he... Made the Miami Dolphins with Brock Osweiler as a quarterback uh, a decent team. Uh, they were seven and six at one point this year. They started the season three and zero. They were seven and nine the year before that, and they went ten and six and made the playoffs in his first season. That was the only season he had a full season at Tannehill. Um, so with an average quarterback, he made the Dolphins into a playoff team. Yeah, it seems to be something to recommend it to you. But then again, we have seen throughout the years just a a bevy of ideas from the New England Patriots. Yeah. And I, I've said that I said this off the air too of like, um, I, it's not that I don't want the Packers to come out and, and run the P Patriots game plans because they are always attacking their opponents weakness. Yeah. Always, always and relentlessly doing so. And also they have a knack for using 
guys to their strengths almost exclusively. Yeah. Again, like Cordero Patterson. Yeah. Nearly it, beat the Packers single, yeah, and the game, single-handedly and I, earlier in this season. And Cordero Patterson was a guy who, I mean, I don't know if at this point you can call it mismanagement from Minnesota or the fact that, like, he looked like a total bust. Yeah, he wasn't good. Uh, He was a bad wide receiver, but he was a good kick returner. Yep. And so what McDaniels and the Patriots offense did was they put him in a position where it was similar to when he returns kicks. They put him in the backfield, took him a few steps back, and just had him run really fast and get the ball. And so they ran him on inside runs, not outside runs, because it was similar to when he would be taking the ball up the middle of the field on a kick return. So it was a situation that he was used to, even though he's playing out of position at running back for the New England Patriots. That's quality coaching. Yeah, that's, it's good ideas. And it's not just Cordero pa- Patterson, but you got to look at guys like Julian Edelman, where I'm, I'm only about halfway convinced that Julian Edelman would be any good. Yeah. On, on another NFL team. I mean, you know, shoot, like Tom Brady can't move anymore. Yeah. And and he's always he's been good. He's got he's got guys to look at. Um, this is a team that very confidently uses uses momentum and judges judges things like momentum and timing mm-hmm. in their play calling very well. They know when to go for the jugular, they know when to lay back, yeah. they know when to drop that trick play on you. Um, they their their sense of tempo and timing is so so good. There's a lot to recommend. They also Josh McDaniels to to a head coaching spot. Yeah. Other than the fact that like he's just behaved like a complete ass. Yeah. The Patriots. I one thing I wanted to add to kind of your list of things that the Patriots do exceptionally well is they use tight ends really well. Yeah. Um. Back again to that Martellus Bennett and uh Mercedes Lewis thing is they both agreed that Mike McCarthy's system might be the worst for tight ends in the NFL. Possibly. Is they were like, you don't run any seams up the middle. You don't run any seven and outs. You don't run any seven and ins. You're not running any deep crossers. They were just like, it's a bad system for tight ends. So people that were disappointed by Jimmy Graham's season this year and believe that Green Baby needs to do all they can to uh, emphasize him next season, Josh McDaniels has been using a similar type player in New England to Hall of Fame levels over the last few years in Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, Rob Gronkowski is also like a, a just sort of a a mammoth human being. Yes, yeah. who's who's six foot seven, better <laughs> better at football than Jimmy Graham. Hops, I, uh, I, you know, we might have contention here. I, 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 a disagree with anybody who thinks Jimmy Graham had a bad year or a disappointing year. I think he was on pace for like eight hundred yards before he broke his thumb, and then after that, it's you're playing with a one handed man. Um, and also Mike McCarthy has such a bad <laughs> system. I think Jimmy Graham still has the ability to be good. I don't I don't think we're going to see 1,000-yard wide receiver numbers out of Jimmy Graham anymore, but I think Jimmy Graham still has the ability to be something special, and I think Josh McDaniels could bring that out of him. Yeah, there's there's a lot of questions as far as, as you know that you know that Josh McDaniels understands like personnel and he understands yeah. how to get the most out of a roster, but you know, we've had we've had such an such an odd situation right now with with like the the Aaron Rodgers Mike McCarthy feud and just this this wonderment of of like why why is Aaron Rodgers so unhappy <laughs> and like there's he's not healthy he's he's upset in an odd situation he's upset with the the situation he's 
He's like clearly frustrated on field. Like, you know, his his body language is like devolving into like Demarcus Cousins levels of yeah. of odd. And I don't say that to knock Demarcus Cousins. He's I think he's fantastic at basketball. It's just that like he's not a man of of any sort of particular emotional restraint. Mm. No, <laughs> and, no, he and, will let it go. Yeah, Rogers has been like just getting, I think, a little bit less disciplined with how he controls himself. Yeah, and I think. And like, is is a dictator what Aaron Rodgers needs? Like, I don't know. No, but McDaniel's is well known as a guy who who is a dictator who's going to run run the show he top would, down, yeah. hierarchical wise. Like, does does Aaron Rodgers at thirty five and you know in his thirty fifth and thirty sixth year, like, is that is that the situation that brings out the best in him? Possibly. Uh, yeah, I kind of want a coach that's going to be happy to push Aaron Rodgers and get on top of Aaron Rodgers is is somebody who has dealt with Tom Brady for the last number of years for the last decade on and off um, and has had no problems screaming at Tom Brady and telling him to play better and pushing him as a competitor where Mike McCarthy was very much hands off and very much like a quiet reserved guy who wasn't going to criticize Aaron Rodgers Um, and Aaron Rodgers kind of just got free reign in over the last few years uh, because, I mean, quite honestly, Aaron Rodgers was the only thing keeping this team in relevancy since about 2014, 2015, since that Seattle game. So it is it is likely that we are going to hear before the end of January Yeah, who the, who the Packers get. Um, you know, your big names on there, of course, are just McDaniels and Adam Gase, both of whom have done good things in the league. Um yeah, I don't know if you've got anything on some of these uh, some of these more dark horse candidates. I don't. If anyone looks appealing to you, but I do have one thing that I wanted to touch on quickly yeah, about man. Josh McDaniels. Of course, Josh McDaniels runs an Earhart Perkins system, uh, so that's kind of like the the system that they use for verbiage to call plays. Um, there's a few... sounds like a way to pl- to play the banjo. Sounds like a way to play the banjo. Uh, it's much less interesting than that, but it's similar to uh, it's. It contrasts to the West Coast offense that Aaron Rodgers has run for the entirety of his career. And so the West Coast offense is like that complex, like a Z in X hook kind of play calling system where each player knows what they're being told to do based on like the Z receiver runs an in, the X runs a hook, so on and so forth. And that's like really old and has been around for a long time. The Earhart Perkins system is what the Patriots run, and it's why they can run that fast, upbeat offense so quickly, and it's why they're able to get plays in quickly and not worry about, like, uh, it doesn't go down to the one second every single time for them. Their play calls are not very long, and it's not as complex in their play calls. The Players don't get lost in the verbiage of, like, what the quarterback is trying to communicate. It's just Alabama, Alabama. It's one word. There's a really great Grantland article on it, um, on like the specific verbiage of the different systems. But there's two points that I want to make with this: is if a a complete new verbiage system for Aaron Rodgers to learn at age 35. This is a completely different system than he's run for his entire career, even going back to California. He's pretty smart. I think that he's pretty smart. Demanding my, his attention in that way yeah. might be beneficial. I think it also. I mean, most importantly is i mean we saw it time and time and time again this season last season the year before the year before that and the year before that is play calls coming in not until there's three seconds on the clock and then it's go 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 and there's not enough time for aaron Rodgers to get up to the line make adjustments and make reads it's just get up 
kind of work the snap count a little bit and then go. And teams were starting to use that against Aaron Rodgers and waiting for him to try and get them off sides until there's one second left and then he has to snap or the Packers call a timeout and waste a timeout. The Earhart Perkins system would be getting that play in way quicker, would allow for better communication between the quarterback and the wide receivers, and allow for more time at the line of scrimmage to change play calls. Interesting. So that's that. I like it. Yeah. I, I definitely like the idea of changing things up. That's yeah. that to me is, is the biggest thing of of I'll be darned if there isn't a bunch of talent on this Packers roster. Yeah, no, there's young only... talent coming back, like and guys who are again, like there are just so many guys on that cusp of like they you could either end up an NFL player or not in the case of some of these guys. I'm thinking of like Antonio Morrison, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, Geronimo Allison. Yeah. Um, you know, even some of these young wide receivers, Robert Tanyan, you know, there, there's guys who like your ceiling is NFL player. Yeah. And then there are guys whose ceiling is perennial pro bowler or not. And, you know, another couple of years of stagnating in a system w- that isn't working where nobody seems very happy is going to keep you away from some great things, but like some trips to the playoffs, some trips to championship games. That'll build confidence. We're going to, going to bring you back. Yeah. You know? And that's, that to me is, is a lot of what this coaching change has to take in effect is these guys who are 22 to 25 years old, who have a chance to establish themselves as like being truly like good, good to great guys. Yeah. They need, you can never, you can never just as a player think your way into an NFL career. Like this is a, a group effort, and all all that all that like Gutkunst draft of the last year, and you know, some of these guys who have been put onto contracts already. Like the chance to get them to that next level. to that next level is kind of right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you don't you don't look at this draft quite the way you looked at the last draft, in that like, yeah, you hope to have one or two immediate contributors out of the draft that's coming up. Yeah, but you're certainly hoping that there's enough 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 depth. That's a fun phrase to say. Apparently, you're hoping that there's enough depth that you're not asking third and fourth round wide receivers, project wide receivers, to all yeah. of a sudden be getting reps this year. Yeah. You're hoping that you're not bringing up guys from the practice squad to to play in your secondary in, yeah. in week 14. Like, yeah. like Tony Brown playing yeah. 300 snaps this year. Yeah, the depth should be there. Yeah. It's now time to like bring it along, and, and you know, you're not going to see a season where like three of your starting safety rotation are either traded, released, or Kentrell Bryce. Yeah. Or injured, like Ibrahim Campbell. Yeah. IR. Yeah, who was not <laughs> at all not, in the conversation. It, yeah. Whose name we did not say until week four or six, I believe. I think it might have been even later than La- that. It might have been later I than that. It might have been like eight or ten. So that to me is that to me is the the thing of like who who takes guys it's such an and it's such a hard ask too, because you've got like your salty veterans. Yeah. And then you've got your young hungry guys. So few guys in the middle. So few guys. Right in that core of players of like the prime NFL players, you got to move that young core into that section. Into that second, that's yeah, that's when you're in playoffs. Yeah, what coach mode. does that? Yeah, who does that? I have no idea, but that's what I see as like the 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 ask. Good, cool. I want <laughs> I want Josh McDaniels to do that. I think Josh McDaniels can do that. I want Josh, okay. I want Josh McDaniels. I want Adam Gase. I want one of those two. 
I think you're going to get one of those two. I hope yeah. I hope we get one of those two, Mike. I think we'll be happy people with either of those two. What about Mike Munchak? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know who that is. No. I, I've seen a little bit of talk about Todd Monken, uh, who ran yeah. the Bucks offense this mm-hmm. year. I think if the Packers go after Todd Monken, it's going to be very similar to the Mike McCarthy offense we saw this year, which tried to play on the analytics of big play equals big wins, um, and the Packers threw deep about as much as anyone could have this season and saw no winning success from that strategy. And neither did the Buccaneers, even though their offense was pretty prolific. They saw no winning success from that strategy. So I don't want somebody whose entire goal is deep passing. I want some. I think the, the Packers... That's not the league anymore. It's not the league anymore, baby. The, the league is a change in, and I want somebody who can throw that, who can focus the this entire This is not offense. a nine-in-the-box league. No. On defense. No. That's, you know, this. it's not like, you know, run Emmett Smith seven times in a row and then Troy Aikman whips it out to Michael Irvin. And then Troy Aikman goes for 35 yards. Throws one of his eight completions on the game and is awarded the Hall of Famers. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he... Yeah, well, you know, there's a guy on Rogers that <laughs> I can't do an impression of anyone today, but that's my impression of Aikman is just the noise coming out of a throat. Just, I... I I want to make sure that you know how much I don't think Troy Aikman was good. Okay, that's. I mean, this is this is not like. I'm certainly don't not going to present you a counter argument as you in like Troy Aikman was good because there isn't. Cause I one. don't think he was. Yeah, no, he was bad. Isn't he a Hall of Famer though? I believe he is. It's a joke. 165 touchdowns to 141 interceptions. 165 S- touchdowns in his career. In his career, these are his career statistics. Woo! 61.5 percent. Completion percentage, 165 touchdowns to 141 interceptions, and 81.6 passer rating. He's All right. Foot, he's a pro football Hall of Famer. Did you know the Packers uh, played eight guys at safety this year? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Who were they? Um, they, in fact, were Tremont Williams. Ha-ha Clinton Dick. A, a, a cornerback. Yeah. Kentrell Bryce, Josh Jones. Haha Clinton Dix, Jermaine Whitehead, Ibrahim Campbell, Eddie Pleasant, and Raven Green. All right. All right. That's one more person than they played at cornerback, of whom there are more on the field than safeties usually. And yeah, and and the Packers ran a a huge, a lot of nickel in the beginning of this year where they often had five cornerbacks on the field. Alexander Jackson, Breland King, Tony Brown, Devon House. Remember Devon House? No, I forgot about. And him. Will Redmond. Do you remember Will Redmond? No. Okay. Yeah, those those were the the cornerbacks. So, um, yeah, someone got to play safety for this team. Boy, oh boy, someone's got to play safety. Um, Corey Toomer was the person who got snaps at middle linebacker. Also, win. <laughs> right. This is a long eighteen weeks. Yeah, this this was. Holy Just some some guys showed boy. up at so, certain points in this. I don't have any thoughts on on Corey Toomer. I don't have a <laughs> single one. Well, that's yeah. We'll uh, we're gonna come back next week and talk more about more about the uh, the divisional round. Yeah, and uh, we might have some more Packers news next week. The episode might be short. 
or it might be long. Uh, who, dep- God knows. Depending on how much EDM we talk about. Um, yeah, Lord only knows what's going to happen. Uh, looks like the, uh, the Mike McCarthy situation is going to end up being Jets or Browns. Yeah, I I would I would assume I think he goes to the Browns. I think Gase goes to the Jets. I think Packers get McDaniel's. I think Arians is going to the Bucks, and I think maybe Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. Interesting. Yeah, I'm. I think that I think that or Monken in the Arizona. Browns might become legitimate, but boy, they are. They're another team very much like the Dolphins where like if you look above the level yeah. of like head coach and and players there's just nobody in there who like like their their ownership is literally a criminal guy. Yeah. Like, it's a bad person. Yeah, literally a guy who's like been running like a racketeering scheme out of like his his truck stop empire or something. Like there's yeah, it's yeah. just not good. They've got a lot of former Packers front office guys in their front office now. So, I mean John Dorsey's been doing a good job. Yep. That's about all the positives I think you can say about the Browns is that their new front office doesn't look like they're completely mismanaging everything, and their owner hasn't stepped in and forced them to do anything dumb in a while. So, was their owner the guy who said that a homeless man told him to draft Johnny Manziel? Silence. Uh, did that really happen? Did that? I mean, happen? it has to. It, it, <laughs> if anyone drafted it. I mean, While you're to... looking for it, I want to just paraphrase a tweet that I wrote somewhat earlier this year, uh, somewhere during the regular season, and that tweet was to the effect of Baker Mayfield is going to do the Manziel money celebration and simultaneously get struck by 17 bolts of lightning. <laughs> you were right. Uh, Jimmy Haslam says a homeless man convinced him to draft Manziel. Cool. Yeah. Uh, That's how you run a football team in 2016, ladies and gentlemen. Someone give me a job in the front office of the Cleveland Browns. They was told to sell Palantonio. They made a move because a homeless man told Haslam to draft him. Wow. Everywhere I go, people know me. Haslam said. He went out Haslam said, I went I was out to dinner recently and a homeless person was out in the street, looked up at me and said, Draft Manzel. <laughs> it's a quote from Jimmy Haslam. Oh my. It's a quote from the owner of the football team uh, who moved back up into the first round pick. Why isn't this guy running Johnny for president? Because uh, he knows that he probably shouldn't put his criminal acts <laughs> in full display of everyone, unlike Donald Trump. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no. Yeah, super good. Yeah. <laughs> 2019, where it's cool to be awesome. Yeah. God. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening to Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. I am Mike Fleischman. That's Matt Mellum Setter. Um, I think head cheesehead of the week is uh, is Large Richard Nick Foles. Yeah, I might go Cody Parkey. <laughs> His kick was deflected. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll uh, maybe also the bear. Trevion Hester. The uh, yeah, yeah. Trevion Hester, uh, the bear. Yeah. Mascot at the. Um, at the back of that uh, the goalpost there, but uh, I'm sticking with uh, with Large Richard Nick Foles. Yeah, he Large as, Richard as my, did a good job head, as my head uh, head cheese head of the week. Good on you, sir, and good luck. Uh, good luck next week. Um, hey, just a reminder hey, for all the Packers fans listening: we yeah. do want the Eagles to win next week as they take on the Saints. It will give us better draft position on our second first round draft pick. So uh, 
Go Eagles, baby. Yeah, go Eagles. Um, go Birds. Yeah, Indiana has to, uh, Indianapolis has to go play Kansas City. That's uh, that's on Saturday. The other Saturday game is uh, is Cowboys at Rams, and then on Sunday it's Chargers at Patriots, and then Eagles at Saints. All those are good games. We're gonna tell you about them next week on Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Until then, stay cheesy, baby. <laughs> <laughs>